What's up, everybody? Um, this is what I'll say um, about all that stuff and all this stuff. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, we, we believe that Jesus Christ was the ultimate storyteller, and um, he was a creative communicator. And we believe, um, we don't just believe, if you actually want to read it, you can read it. You can read it for yourself, but the Bible is filled with Jesus um, communicating in a way that people understand. Like, that's what it's all about. Um, I think we can try that a little more as just believers in our own lives, but, but that's what our, we're trying to do with Forum. Um, the lights and all this stuff, um, we just want to communicate the gospel in a way that people can understand it, that they'll hear it in a way that they're used to hearing it without diluting it or bringing it down at all because we believe um, Jesus Christ has something for everybody. Um, yeah, that, that's an amen. So I'm excited about preaching today. Um, so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go. And God, I pray that you would uh, be gracious to me as I speak today, um, that you would give me words that um, are from you, and that we would really move in the hearts of the uh, people here. God, we thank you, because you, we know your word doesn't return void. And so hopefully as we hear your word, it will bless our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. So today's sermon is called, It Runs in the Family. And, and you know, I was coming up here, and I was, I was preaching, I was thinking about preaching, and I was like, man, um, I'm not a dad. How am I going to talk to these people about parenting and families and relationships? Um, but then I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe I should just do it anyway. But so anyway. So, so then I was like, I guess I can preach the sermon. I'll be preaching to myself. Um, so yeah, we're excited about that. That's kind of a big deal. So um, yeah. So as a future parent, I've been thinking about parenting and, and um, kind of the world that I'm bringing my kid into. As we know, everything is great right now. Um, so, <laughs> Um, but also, more importantly, who is my kid going to be? Like, what do I want to teach my kid? Because honestly, like, you guys can do whatever you want. I'm going to do what I think is right with my kid, <laughs> hopefully what God wants me to be doing, but I'm not going to be looking um, and taking my cues from culture. But it doesn't mean I can ignore it. I have to know what's out there, and I have to be thinking about these things. You know, one thing is for sure because I've been doing this a while, youth pastoring and working with students for over 10 years. And um, I can honestly say, like, <laughs> I hope I have a clear view of who my kid is. Not just what my kid does, but who they are, why they do it, what are their motives. You know, this is one of those things where you work with parents all the time. 
And um, oftentimes I'm like, everyone needs the gospel except for my kid. My kid's perfect. And you're like, you know of all people, your kid really needs to be saved. Like, the first thing your kid did out of the womb was sin. Like, that's just what it is. And so I hope I'm able to be honest about that. And I, because I remember, I, can, I say this all the time. One of the deadly parenting words that we fear in youth ministry is the sentence, I trust my kid. Like, when people say, I trust, how many of you guys have seen those videos online of, like, the kid who's left alone for, like, one minute and, like, destroys the whole house? And you're like, you raised that kid and you trust them? Like, it's a deadly word because usually it's like deflecting something. Like, I trust my kids, so I know that they wouldn't ever X, Y, or Z, whatever it is, you know? The word culture is a way of life of a group of people, the behaviors and beliefs values and symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them and that they are passed along by communication and imitation from one generation to the next. So that's what culture is. So when we talk about culture, we're talking about that. Those of you that we're not talking about like a fancy restaurant or going to the opera. Um, so the question I have for you guys today is, are you willing to live counterculturally? So what does that mean? Why does it matter? So a 1959 study found that traditional female Korean divers worked year-round to collect food for their communities. They dive down, probably picking up like shellfish and various things and descending to depths, this is crazy, 10 and 30 meters. That's like 100 feet. Um, in winter water temperatures dropped as low as 10 degrees Celsius and the women were only caught in swimsuits. So those people are hardcore, right? Those are the people that Trump wants to mess with. <laughs> they were like, I don't care if it's 10 degrees, I'm swimming 100 feet down. Um, so these women would take shifts diving with length of the shifts, and they would be changing them um, depending on the weather and stuff. But these ba basically what they found is that these women would get used to swimming in this freezing cold water. Their body changed at like a, like a level where they would actually like produce fat differently, uh, their blood flow would be different. Everything would be different to the point where it wasn't as cold to them anymore. It didn't bother them as much anymore to swim in this water. This water that, for you and me, would probably be deadly. Um, and they're used to it. Um, so why do I share this? Well, humans are designed to be adaptive, right? That's how we survive. And, and we can get used to pretty much anything. How many guys, like, anybody here, like, ever live in a house by a busy road and, and then move? You ever see that commercial where those people are in the, they're, they're in, like, camping in the woods, and then they're like, oh, it's so silent. And then the guy's like, it's horrible. <laughs> and they turn on the, the city sounds. We could get used to anything to the point where when it's not that way anymore, it actually kind of bothers us. And um, so re recent research led by a team of University College of London, basically they think they've uncovered how long it takes. And a lot of people say 21 days. It's probably 66 days to establish a habit is what they say now. So basically, if you do something long enough, it will become a habit. You'll be used to it. It won't bother you anymore. The water won't be cold. 
It'll just feel like water. You won't know the difference. When people say, oh, it's cold in the winter here. I want to go back to Brazil or Florida. I'm like, it's normal. It's just the normal temperature of winter. Not for me. But for me, that's all I've ever known. I've grown up in this. So there have been many studies about what the temperature of American, we'll say the water of culture, um, currently is. And Barna examined um, and they concluded that 37% of American adults qualify as post-Christian. You know, so what does that mean? Well, among 15 measures of non-religiosity among American adults, Barna found that 47 do not feel a responsibility to share their faith. 57 have not read the Bible in the last week, which is a lie because it's much higher, probably higher than that in this room because that's just statistically how it goes. Um, 33% have not attended a Christian church in the past year. Um, And like I said, this is by people's answers. So we know when people answer questions that could be perceived as unfavorable, they don't, they're not the most honest. So we can actually perceive that these are probably higher. Um, However, by contrast, these are some better, even more non-Christian numbers. 27% have never made a commitment to Jesus. 18% have not prayed to God in the last week. 13% disagree that faith is important to their lives. That's only a small part of the story. Um, It also found that millennials um, are more likely to qualify as post-Christian than boomers, which I think you guys would have known, and of course seniors. Um, You know, if we look at it by the generation, millennials, we have 48% are post-Christian. Boomers, 35% post-Christian. Seniors, 28%. This is the next generation. If you follow the trends, we're looking 60 to 70%. Post-Christian. So what is post-Christian? It is not not Christian. It is not like, oh, I should be going to church more often. Like everyone you meet in town, oh, where do you go to church? I, go to, I used to go to church at this place. Oh, where are you going now? Oh, you know, I need, I need to get back into that. That is not post-Christian. That's like kind of like weak Christian or not active. Post-Christian is this. A post-Christian society is not merely a society where agnosticism or atheism is a prevailing fundamental belief. All right? It's worse. It's a society rooted in the history, culture, and practices of Christianity, but in which the religious beliefs of Christianity have been either rejected or worse, forgotten. So what's the temperature of the water? I, I don't think people are like, oh, it's so hostile to Christians. It's worse. We're ambivalent. The average person that you meet probably hasn't had a religious thought. And that's the culture we're raising our students in. When our students are going to school, you know, I was listening to some people the other day talking, and and they were talking about um, all the sex partners they had had. Like, it was literally nothing. It was totally normal. It wasn't a discussion like something scandalous, something they should be ashamed of, something. And I'm not saying I want them to be ashamed. I'm not, like we go down that wrong path sometimes as Christians where we're mad that they're not mad. I'm not upset that they're not upset. 
But I'm aware that they're not upset. And I'm aware that when I'm sending a student into that high school, that they're not told, be upset about this. They're told it's normal, explore things, learn about yourself. We always go around and we try to make them not tell our students that. This is what I'm gonna say to us. Who do we think we are <laughs> to tell other people what to tell our kids? You can clap if you want, you don't have to. But. Because it's the total wrong way to go. Because if we're looking and we're going, it's essentially like saying like, I'm gonna fill up this cup of hot water and I'm gonna pour it into this ocean. And if we do it enough times, guys, we will bring the temperature of this water up. No. Culture. Let's look at that definition again. This is what we're living in. It's generational. This didn't happen overnight. America didn't, like, for those of us that are like, well, in my generation, you gave birth to these kids who gave birth to these other kids who gave birth to these other kids. Trust me, this didn't start when the random generation was born. It's a trend. It's a trend. So if we really want to humble ourselves before God, we can acknowledge the trend. I would say we could just acknowledge the culture we're in. We can look at it and be real with where we're at and say, what do we do now? We're here now, what do we do? Not bemoaning the past or trying to pour hot water in the ocean or any of these ridiculous things that actually get nothing done. They just tick people off and fend people. We can look and say, God, what have you given me? You've given me a family. You've given me a family. You've given me a church family. You've given me children and spiritual children who are in this post-Christian culture. And they're not on our side. They're not necessarily against you, by the way, but they're certainly not on your side and they're not helping you raise Christian kids. They're post-Christian. Let's just say it like this. They're over it. They're over it. You know, so let me say it this way. Are we willing to disciple counterculturally? What does that mean? It means opposite of culture. Culture says, this is normal. We say, no, it's not normal. We go out of our way to have that conversation. We intentionally do things like that. So the Bible has some advice for us about this in Romans 12 too. Don't become so well adjust, adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. God knew this was going to happen to us. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and, you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So, yeah, that's, that's good news. You know, yeah. One of, the, one of the biggest mistake or mysteries um, to me as a youth pastor is, and teacher is, because um, I teach in a Christian school as well, and I work with a lot of Christian young people, um, is basically the lack of Christian culture passed down to students. You know, I've been in a classroom, a Bible classroom, where I asked the students, who is Abraham? And they didn't know who Abraham was. Christian students at this church, He literally founded not just our religion, 
He's conceived to be the founder of three religions. <laughs> and we don't know who Abraham is. And then we're surprised when they're not that into our religion. You know, I've spoken to kids who've never seen their parents pray. Not once. I've spoken to Christian students who, whose parents have never actually prayed with them beyond a dinner prayer. Um, they don't even see that modeled. Maybe they pray for grandma when she's sick. Good thing to do, by the way. I've spent time with kids who inform me how their um, school and their, their career um, has been definitely let them know that their parents are like, this is what's important to you. Hey, don't go to youth group. You got, you got school. Don't go to church on Sunday. You got sports. I don't say this stuff to shame anybody. I'm just telling us we have to be intentional about this. We have to be thoughtful because whatever you tell your kid is the most important thing is what they will believe is the most important thing. And this is any of you parents that think your kids don't listen to you are lying to yourselves because your kids do listen to you. I can tell what you believe based on how your kids are. I'm telling you, this is... I, I always think about this, and I want to be nice when parents are like, what do I do with my kid? They're, they're always acting up. I'm like, maybe you should try like being a better example. <laughs> guys, students, I'm not letting you guys off the hook, by the way. You don't get to be like, it's your fault, Mom. I learned it from you. <laughs> You're responsible for yourselves, students. I'll say that. But parents, your kids listen to you. You're the only person that's ever taught them how to adult, for the most part. You're the biggest voice in their life, um, for better or worse. Um, I'd like to think for better. I think we have amazing families in this church. I think you guys are great. Um, I'm just being real today. Um, this is not me saying you're all doing terrible. A lot of us are doing a great job. I'm just trying to let us know these are kind of like this is the condition we're in. We're in a culture that's X. How do we need to be? What do we need to do? The first thing we got to do is be real with ourselves and what's actually going on and, and, and how does this stuff work? You know? So I'm, re I'm repeatedly and constantly surprised how um, a lot of Christian families have no strategy to actually getting the result. They don't pass down heritage. They're not saying like... They don't read their kid Bible stories or there's no real strategy. You know, it'd be like, how many of you guys save money? Anybody here save? Raise your hand if you save. You, we should have more hands raised. Maybe we can talk about that in conjunction with strategy. Um, um, so if you, that's a good example, by the way. Anybody here who save, it's really easy, right? It just happens. It just magically appears in your savings account. Like at the end of the month, you're like, wow, we have all this money left over. I guess we should put it in savings. Is that how it works? How does it work, Scott? You, you put it in there first. It goes in savings before you accidentally spend it. This is how it works. You know, it has to be that intentional with your parenting. 
So, I developed a few theories on why Christian families seem to struggle with this, and this is just through a lot of it through observation and working with families and um, trying to help families um, get the result that I think they really truly want. And, and I think that's the, the core thing is if we're going to be, don't be defensive, just think about what result do I want. Like if I was to have an optimum result as a family, and, and this is for you, you guys, this works for mentoring too, not just parenting. I know anytime you're like, you're kind of bestowing and teaching and training and responsible for someone. The first thing is, I think we're used to a post-Christian world. We're used to a post-Christian world. We, you know, we've become so acclimated um, to our culture that we no longer notice that it doesn't even align with our biblical views. You know, just like that Bible verse says, we don't hear the voice of God anymore, and we don't think the water's cold anymore. We're like, oh, this is the temperature it always has been. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not aware of danger, if you're not aware that something's not the way it should be, you're going to have a really hard time um, kind of trying to condition our, your child to also think it's cold. If you think the best thing they could ever, it's like, well, I know youth group's important, but what's really important is something else. I know church is important, but what's really important is vacation. What's really important is sports. They're going to go, okay, check, most important thing, school, vacation, God. Got it, Dad. Thank you. And then you're like, why don't you want to be a Christian in your private life? I'm good at the things you told me are important. We're not used to, we don't know that actually your te the teachers in the schools don't always have your back. The television does not have your back. The internet does not have your back. It doesn't mean you can cloister them away and hide them away. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you've got to fight against it. You have to counter the culture. The, sec the second thing is we're not ready to swim ourselves. And I think this is the scariest reason for a lot of us. We haven't decided um, ourselves to get fit enough to swim in this freezing cold water. You know, it's hard. It's hard to fight against the culture to swim. It takes training. It takes perseverance. And if you're not ready to rock and roll, you're going to have a hard time. You wouldn't be like, I've never learned to swim, but let's throw our baby in that pool. You know, just, just do it. It's, I've seen pictures. It's like this. <clears throat> you got to learn to swim, guys. Um, I know for me, when I'm thinking about being a parent, I'm like, I got to get better. I got to get better because I'm going to have all these like moments with my kid where I'm going to be like really human. And I'm going to be like, if I don't have like the Holy Spirit living in me, that's scary to me. Because they're going to know the real me. Like, not just the me that's up here, the one I want you to see. They know who I really am. They know how I really treat my wife. Your kids know who you really are. And if you're not the real deal, they're going to perceive all Christians as a joke. That's the bottom line. That is the number one stream I've seen throughout it, is I'm like, I, parents, I'm not your pastor. So most of you don't, I, I don't feel right to always say these things, but I'll say it since I got the stage. 
But I can tell you, it's not much more complicated than that. There are always fringe cases. Don't get me wrong. There's always a case of some parent who really, really, really loves God. I know that that can happen. I mean, biblically, it doesn't seem like it should be happening because the Bible says, you know, hide the word of God in your heart and you won't sin against God. And the Bible gives us these promises about what's going to happen when you parent the right way. And, and I think this might seem kind of like, ugh, but it's actually like kind of better because you don't have to go change your kid's mind. You just have to change your own. That's a lot easier. Right? <laughs> so the third thing and the thing we're going to camp on and close with is Christian parents do not see themselves as their student's pastor. Yeah, two claps. Awesome. The bottom line, I think, is some of us, we think we can't do it. We don't know how to be a pastor. We don't know that we're called to do it either. We don't know that we're their primary source of spiritual education and sex. We think, oh, I'm supposed to teach them about money, hopefully dating and sex, definitely driving. Like, and all this other stuff. But when it comes to spirituality, we're like, not really my territory. You know, I've often met with um, parents, discuss their student, and I've found that the students um, who sometimes are the worst off have parents who think they have great kids with a great heart. In their heart, they're great, but in their actions, they're terrible. They might be the worst behaved kid, but they're the nicest secretly. Um, which seems a little counterintuitive. Um, um, and there's usually little to no basis for the assessment that their, they, their kid has a great heart, except that they want their kid to have a great heart. Um, and it's not to, again, I'm not trying to criticize a parent loving their kid. I hope you see your kid as amazing. Even if your kid is like the biggest crumb bum here, you should be believing that your kid is amazing. You should be telling, speaking life into your student every day, saying, you're awesome, you're the best. Even when they're not living up to what they should be, your job is to speak life into that kid, not to be like, you're, wow, you're really disappointing me with how, you're bad, how bad you are at Christianity, son. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply trying to point out it seems to be a huge challenge for parents to ask a simple question. Are you a Christian? Hey, son, have you made a commitment to following Christ? Repeatedly, throughout their life. Oh, yeah, I asked them when they were seven. When they were seven, they thought Lunchables were a real lunch. (laughs) Seven-year-old kids don't know, like... No offense, seven-year-olds, if you're in here and you should be in kids' church. They don't know (laughs) what they should be doing, you know? You know, and I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of us just feel incapable to ask this question. We feel afraid of the answer. We feel like, what if they say no? What if they said, I don't know? Oh, well, I guess we should pray. Do you want to pray? Okay. Not a bad call, by the way. 
It's more about the pattern of wanting to know. Because when you ask, your kid knows, this is important to my parents. They want to know. They're more interested in this than how my school is. Who are my friends? Like, they're not just going like, how was school today? Have any homework? What do you want for dinner? Right? Your, your parenting life consists of, parent, of questions to your student. Blah, blah, blah. Questions, questions, questions. And then when we get to spirituality, and I think to some degree sexuality, the questions stop. And so your kid doesn't know what's important to you. It's confusing to students. Because they're like, well, my parents asked me about my grades. So that's important to them. They want to know when I'm going to be home. They want to know who, they, they have all these, they don't ask me about my spirituality. And just so you know, asking how was youth group is not asking about spirituality because kids mostly goof off at youth group. It was fun. We had pizza. We had, awesome. oh, I talked to my kid. They had a great time at church. That's good, by the way. It's good to be interested in everything your kid does. You, should, you could be saying, hey, son, how was your Overwatch match and video games? Oh, it was great, Dad. You know, I talk to your kid by all means about whatever. But we take an active role as parents because we see these things, driving, homework, chores, you know, potty training, speaking. These are things that we need to be training them for. We're their core responsible person, right? How many of you guys would be like, yeah, I just didn't get around to potty training. You just Why do you do it? You do it because it's convenient for you ultimately. Ultimately, it makes your life easier. And I think you have to think of your kid's faith in the same way because nothing will hurt you more in the long run than watching your kid not serve God. It'll be worse than if they never get potty trained. That's how we have to think about it. We have to take an active role in being counterculture. And the easiest thing I could say is make it important to be a Christian. So here's the thing. You're not just a nurturing parent. You're a pastor. You're a pastor. If you're a leader, and a lot of, we're pastors in all kinds of ways. You're pastors at your jobs. You're pastors at your, if anyone's on the bowling team, I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Um, you're pastor in your home. You're pastor with your spouse. What does it mean to be a pastor? A pastor is one who shepherds a flock. Biblically, they're defined as elders, teachers, caretakers, authorities. Sounds like a parent. Right? Pastoring is akin to spiritual nurturing and caretaking. Um, in a way, it's like spiritual parenting. I think that's the best way, and I think my dad would agree. He's more like a dad to some of us than a teacher. He spends more time loving on people and talking them through things and being with an intentional goal of hopefully getting them to see the Bible as that source of truth. Jesus often referred to himself as the good shepherd, right? And the Bible refers to a shepherd like this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one sheep or one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, 
for I found my sheep, which was lost. Shepherding and pastoring your student is a, it's a position of authority. And it's one, um, you have the responsibility and the right. You have the right to assume it. But sadly, a lot of people, they don't see themselves in that shepherd role. Their kid gets lost and they're like, I don't know what to do. Get out there. Pick your kid up. My kid's at someone's house. Oh, they're going to be so much trouble when they get home. Get in your car. Your kid could die. Am I wrong? Uh, they have some friends I don't like. Get over there. What are you doing? Well, they won't like it if I tell them not to do that. Heck yeah, they won't like it. <laughs> but, and, and, and I'm not minimizing, like, having a house that's, like, crazy from always having these battles. I'm not minimizing that. We're not, to be honest, we're not talking about that. That's another sermon. What we're talking about is choosing to parent counterculturally, which means they don't tell me what my house's rules are. The Bible tells me what we're going to be. And I'm going to tell my kid what it is we want to be doing. The Bible says, take the word of God and like put it on your head. Bind it to your head. The priest would literally walk around with Bible verses on boxes on the front of their head. And some of us, the Bible is like this hidden thing. And it doesn't mean we don't have a Bible in our home, but it's not how we communicate. It's not what we talk about. It's not important. And then our kids, literally, they're just doing what we're teaching them. Um, and I would hope we can be like kind of humble about that when our kids aren't doing what we want. The first question is like, what have I been mentoring? Like, I know for me, I'm a boss of a company. And I hope my guys that work for me know, like, I'll I don't have any issue um, telling somebody they're not doing the right thing and no um, mincing of words. But I also don't mind saying, I apologize if I didn't make this easy for you or if I taught you the wrong thing. It's still wrong what you're doing, but let me show you what we should be doing. And I'll try to get better at X and you have to do Y. You know, so the first thing you need to know is you have the authority because you're a priest. You a parent, you're a priest. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Revelation says, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break the seals and open it. You were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people of God for every tribe and language and people and nation, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation also says, grace and peace to you from whom he is and who he was and who is to come from the seven spirits before the throne, from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves and has freed us from the sin from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We look at these verses and we go, wow, Jesus is pretty awesome. 
And Jesus is like, no, you're a priest. You guys are awesome too. You're a priest. I have not called you to have your sins just washed away. I've called you to be a kingdom of priests. So this is, I don't need to elaborate on this because we're just, the word's just getting in our hearts and it's saying, you are a priest. That's the first thing. As a parent, you got to know this. Has to be in your thinking. That is your counterculture. You're not your kid's friend. You're your kid's priest. Two, you could be a pastor because you're filled with the spirit of God. I love this because it kind of preaches on its own. And as a Christian, you have access to something pretty amazing. It's called the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 through 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes unto you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in your home, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Some of your kids are the ends of the earth. You will be that witness. You're filled with the power. The word... um, in the Bible that we use, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, dunamis. It's like, it means basically, it's where we get the word dynamite. The power of the Holy Spirit's like an explosive power inside of us. You can do a lot of damage with, with dynamite. That's in you. This is what's, what's great about this is like, this is not like, and you will be filled with Bible verses in your head, or you will be filled with a bunch of John Maxwell leadership maxims that you can go tell your kid. No, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit's power to go into your home. You gotta believe that and you gotta experience that. And if you haven't had access to that power, my dad will be preaching next week and he'll he'll give you some time. Doubting your ability to share the gospel is doubting God's ability to work through you. That's really what it is. When you're like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't think the Holy Spirit has given you a kid and given you the ability to share the gospel with that kid, you kind of don't believe that God's in control. God's in control. He knew you were going to have that kid, and he knew you were going to be their parent. The third reason You could be a pastor because you have a support system in the family of God. This is a great thing. Hillary Clinton says it it takes a village to raise a child. Um, And I would say I agree. I would agree. It's not just up to me. Um, It's up to you got all these great parents in here, all these great people. Um, And I think it's scriptural what she said there. And I don't know if she actually invented that saying, by the way, but she wrote a book about it. Um, so how can the church help us pastor our students? Well, I got a couple reasons, a couple ways. Um, your church ministries are a reinforcement to what your student is already learning at home. We're not a replacement. Like literally, if it's not happening at home, it's certainly probably not going to be happening at youth group. Um, but we're your support Like, there are great programs in this church and in a lot of other churches that are designed to make it easier for parents. That's why we have lasers. You don't have lasers at your house. But certainly, I can't replace you. You guys, you're the key. You guys are the key. The second, 
Your church friends are a parenting resource. Please, please take advantage of this. There are great examples in this church. There is great advice in this church. And guess what? You can have fun in fellowship. I'm going to take a little aside here. Make your Christian parents or Christian friends like hang out together. If all of your friends don't go to church, why would your kids want to hang out with Christians? It's very simple. If you don't build a social life around Christ followers, your kids will also. You are training your student that Christian friends don't matter. It's, man, you guys are super powerful. But that's here. I like the people in this church. You guys are cool. The third, um, the third way that you can be pastoring your students and why you're able to be doing it is your church family our accountability system for raising your kids correctly. Um, this, is, this is touchy. Does your church family have the right to tell you you're not doing a good job parenting? Like, I know, like, objectively that they do. But, like, if I did it, would you be mad at me? Like, these are the things that we all go like, yeah, of course, no, it's right. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to come over and tell you a couple things about your kid. Where I think, no, well, you don't know. And we get all defensive, and that's where the hair, you know. And I get it, by the way. It's like, I haven't even had my kid yet, and I'm like, already thinking like, I hope people like them. I hope people like this, this child. I hope, they, I hope they think I do a good job. Like, I hope they don't think I'm doing a bad... I can totally get it. But, like, that's just a question for you. Are you parenting com- in a community? Or are, you, are you like, no, this is my treasure. This child is... I, beho- I bestow before you my child who I crafted. I don't really like it. What? <laughs> no. I mean, we got to really be real about how open we are um, to this. You know, the Bible is very clear in Timothy. It talks about if someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. Great, great. I'm none of those things. He must manage his own family well. Well, I can't control my kids. The Bible says you can. Having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? So this matters to talk to each other about. This matters a lot because this this is about stewardship. This is about character. This is about sacrifice. Having that give a care factor. If you're not disturbed by the things that, like I barely know your kids compared to like what you know them. And if the things that disturb me, when I'm like, I love this kid, they're better than that. I love this kid. I don't want them to be living like this. This hurts. If it doesn't hurt you, I certainly don't. You got to really be honest about where you're at. So at the heart of pastoring, 
is helping somebody know Jesus. It's not about raising a perfect person. Because you're not perfect, I'm not perfect. It's okay. People make mistakes, we have flaws. It's about helping them understand God's word, passing on a Christian heritage. This is the Bible. This is our story. This is who we are. It's about giving them the priorities of the kingdom. Love your neighbor, serving, tithing. Our money goes here because money doesn't control us, son, daughter. We're about the kingdom. I'm gonna to talk to my kids about that. I'm not just gonna secretly do it. You know, I wanna talk about a simple thing. It's also a big thing. Um, and it's just a question. Is your student a Christian? And is that a pastor's job to find out? Is it my job? Is it my job to find out if your kid's a Christian? Or do you have a part to play? I'm glad to help, guys. But it's way too important to be timid about. It's way too important to be selfish about. This is way too important. I can't think of a more important thing than this question. Son, daughter, have you decided to follow Christ? Let me help. Let me invest in this. There's nothing more important than this. You know, I know you can do it too. Because you guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're, you're priests. You can do it. So here's what I want to do. Um, we're just going to have an altar call. And if you're a person who's like in your family, um, you want to be committed to pastoring your home. Where you're, gonna, you're not going to hand off the wheels to your kid's spirituality to somebody else. Certainly not the culture that we're supposed to be counter to. But, but not even to anyone else in this church, including me. You're going to take the reins. You're going to ask the hard questions. And guess what? You're going to not do it perfectly. And when you make a mistake, you're going to rely on your friends and resources within the church to find out what works best. And so I picked a bunch of parents. Um, we got awesome people up here. And these are people um, that I think, I'll say this way, have earned the right to pray with you guys about this. They're not perfect, but they're awesome people. And they're people who, I know these guys are going to have the results that you want, but these are people that have the results that you want when you're raising your kids. And so if you're like, I want to pray with somebody about this, um, we're going to sing a song and let's just come up here and let's respond to God with our families. If you want to bring your families up here and just pray and say, God, I don't care what this culture says. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord and I'm going to be the pastor. Come on up.